Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, listeners, just a quick note. We recorded this episode before current events, but hopefully you'll still be able to find it useful and maybe distracting. Are we good? You want me to start, Tally? Yes, please. Okay. Hi, I'm Kim France. And I'm Talia Bacassis. And welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. So today's episode is about addiction. But it's not just about addiction. We want to have a wider conversation about the pressures of being a woman. And so we've invited Christy Coulter, who's the author of this excellent memoir that's like a reckoning of her time with addiction called Nothing Good Can Come From This. And Christy, we share an agent, which is something we've never discussed. I didn't know that. Oh, that's fantastic. And she sent me your book when it was in advanced copies. Mm -hmm. And I don't get professionally jealous much, but boy, oh, boy. (laughs) So much envy. It's such a great book. So smart and so funny. I also get rarely get professionally jealous, but when I do, I really make it count. And it's so I take it as a huge compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your drinking history. How old were you when you started drinking? I think I was uh, 16, 16, maybe 17. So it felt late, actually, you know, compared Mm -hmm. to most of my peers. Right. 16 is late? It seemed late. I was really really scared of alcohol until then. I was the kind of kid who would go to a party and hold a beer and take like one sip all night. Mm. And um, and then once I started, you know, I kind of made up for lost time, I guess. But um, (laughs) but yeah, I held out for for a while. I love in the book where your husband says, oh, yes, you have an adorable little problem, a drinking problem. Yes. Yes. Um, But when did you realize it was a problem? It's funny. I was talking with my writing students about Carolyn Knapp's book, Drinking a Love Story, last mm-hmm. week. I read that when it first came out. So I think I was like 26 or 27. And when she wrote about, you know, always watching the level of wine going down in the bottle and wondering if there would be enough, mm-hmm. I was like, ding, 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 yeah. ding. 
all kinds of alarm bells flashing in my head. And I didn't drink that much at the time, but I knew exactly what she was talking about. So I think I knew then. And then I just, you know, tried to ignore it for another 15 years, 12, 15 years. But I had that emotional attachment to it that she talks about, right. finding it very glamorous and very sexy and always worried there wouldn't be enough of it. So and also a little, a little badass. I feel like that's part of the equation as well. Oh, yes. Yes. It felt very, like, feminist to get to be drunk. <laughs> right. Why do you say yeah. that? It just felt rebellious. I mean, I'd grown up as a pretty good girl. And... Um, it seemed like kind of, I don't know, the way the flappers would drink and smoke is a way to say, hey, we can have fun, too. It just felt like that. Like, oh, I, I'm i not always taking the SATs. I can I can also get drunk. <laughs> right. I took the SAT four times. <laughs> um, so, Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so what did it take for you to quit? What was your moment? I had probably worried about my drinking for about a decade by the time I quit. And I mean, really worried every day. And it hit me one morning, I woke up with a hangover with a headache. And I thought, you know, the only way you can, well, one surefire way you can stop worrying about drinking is just to stop drinking. A realization that, you know, was infuriating to me because I didn't want to stop drinking. So I just thought, well, I'm not going to drink today. And, you know, then the next day and the next day and the next. And I knew pretty quickly that I had made the right decision. And my life got so much better almost immediately. I think a lot of us struggle with that and struggle with the idea that we can somehow be moderate and have normal relationships to alcohol. But then it all comes back to monitoring how much wine is in the bottle or when you're out with other people who's drinking, you know, everybody's drinking slower than you. And... Yep. Oh, yeah. Moderating was, oh, I hated it. it yeah. Even the idea of it now is just like, why would I want to have two drinks? Like, I wanted to have five. Like, why bother? It's like no, I, potato I feel the exact way. I mean, when I see people lingering over one glass of wine for an entire meal, my mind is blown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it still kind of irritates me, and I'm almost seven years <laughs> sober. I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, finish that. I know. Which is a, it's always a good reminder to myself. Like, oh, yeah, you're not normal. Yeah. No, I had a similar realization when I quit. I just I got to the point where I realized it's just going to be easier not to drink than to have this hanging over my head constantly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like if you, I mean, this is more trivial, but if you don't want to eat ice cream all the time, don't have it in the house. Um, are you comfortable saying whether or not you work the steps? I know you mentioned attending AA meetings in your book. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm comfortable. No, I haven't worked the steps. I um, have sort of dabbled in AA. Um, I feel like I've done a lot of the same work. I mean, it's been like a very introspective recovery, a lot of therapy, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of writing, obviously, a lot of talking to other people in recovery. That's been very important to me. You don't realize until you get into some kind of room. I do a, mm -hmm. I do a group at a, mm -hmm. be, a place with a behavioral approach in New York. Um, and it's not till you get into rooms with other alcoholics that you realize that certain of your personality aspects are totally because you're an alcoholic and nothing yep. else. Like what kinds of things, Kim, do you find? Um, anger, a certain kind of anger, mm -hmm. I think is very, um, is very common with alcoholics. Um, self-pity. Oh my I God. Is yes. A big one. And black and white thinking. Yeah. Um, I find, and I also have a way of thinking that I'm special in both good and bad ways, um, that I think is kind of common addictive thinking, like, mm -hmm. 
that, you know, I'm both the, the best and the worst person ever. I'm never just normal. Right, right. No, that's mm-hmm. specialness. That's a big AA thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you had a pretty high-powered job um, mm-hmm. working at Amazon. Can we say yeah. that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm writing a book about it now. I so know you are. Yeah, <laughs> It's going to come excited. out at some point. Um, what do you think about the whole, like, high-functioning addict situation? Because there certainly exists a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely me. Um, I think that when you're pushing that hard and, you know, Amazon is a notoriously brutal place to work, but I, it's not the only brutal place to work, certainly. It's almost socially acceptable to just kill yourself and sort of be, you know, feel awful all day and then just almost erase your day with alcohol. Um it's I've heard from so many people like lawyers and, and doctors after this, after my book came out, who've done the same kind of thing. There's almost a a macho kind of glamour to it. I would think of my Amazon colleagues sort of like war correspondent friends. You know, this <laughs> idea of people who are out in the field all day and then they all sit in this bar and get drunk. Um, it felt like it was almost a point of pride. Well, there's a lot of mythology around. I mean, I think about Mad Men. And the mm-hmm. role of drinking on that show and how, I mean, it will talk about triggering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have a friend, um, Laura McCowan, whose who's memoir just came out um, called We Are the Luckiest. And she worked in advertising and they would literally push around a bar cart on Fridays, you know, with everything you can think of that you would possibly want to drink. And um, she said, exactly like Mad Men. So there's certainly industries. I worked in publishing for a little bit at Amazon Publishing. And that was very, very booze heavy. I mean, the publishing world, as as you probably know, um, it's pretty drinks oriented. Yeah. <laughs> and it was that was fun until it until it wasn't. Right. Hmm. What would you say to somebody who was questioning their own substance use? I think it is never a bad idea to question it because I don't think it's a bad idea to question anything. I also tell people that there's really no downside to not drinking. I mean, aside from a little social awkwardness that passes, it's it's pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, it I'm I you know, I think I have many romantic um, feelings caught up in my own substance use. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's hard sometimes, like, to be in certain situations, to be out at really long dinners where everybody's yeah. drinking a ton of wine, you know. That can be hard, yeah. And how long, do you mind, so you were sober and then you started drinking again, and then how long have you been sober this time? This time, well, I've had some slips, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, no road is straight. Um, no, but no, I, you know, for the past, since the summer. Yeah, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's been off and on for the past five years. Right. I still find it kind of hard to go to those long dinners where people are drinking, and I don't have to do it that often. Um, It doesn't trigger me anymore. I just get bored at some point. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's no fun watching other people get drunk. It's like the most. Because the other, I mean, I'm like, I'm also bored at those dinners. And oftentimes it's just because I'm drinking a little bit less. And it's that, people find things to be much more entertaining when they're tipsy than that are just not that entertaining. Yeah. Or it's like, I'm, I'm fine usually till the third round starts. And then I'm like, oh my God, they're going to start talking louder. Um, yeah. Possibly somebody's going to get over emotional. <laughs> the same jokes will start coming out. Also, and, they start talking about the wine. Yes. <laughs> that, that makes me crazy. Is hard. 
Yeah, that can be hard for me. I have um, a group of friends I occasionally have dinner with who are seriously into wine. And um, and just hearing the vocabulary can kind of give me a pang in my heart. Like, oh, mm. I remember when I used to talk like this. In the moment, it can seem a little lonely when you're the one who's like, yeah, I'm having my my soda with a couple drops of bitters. And you guys right. are talking about this, you know, wonderful wine. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about your writing. Um, mm-hmm. You had this essay that went viral on Medium. Um, and I think it's what led to your book contract. It did, yeah. Mm-hmm. So who is the Anjali woman? Ah, so reader, uh, readers, listeners mm-hmm. <laughs> of a certain age may remember her. She was this perfume commercial woman. This is like the late 70s. I'm 49. So Can you sing it? I can still sing it. Is it is it a Peggy Lee song? It's like I can bring home the I can bring home the bacon, bacon, the bacon fry it up, fried in, a up pan. in a pan. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never let you forget you're a man. Give her Anjali, the eight-hour perfume for the twenty-four-hour woman. Ugh. Good Lord. Um, I was obsessed with this ad when I was a kid. I am. Um, it was this woman, and she's in like a business suit. She's bringing home the bacon, and then she was kind of saucily tossing bacon in a frying pan, which is not a great idea. Um, and then she's in like an evening gown or a negligee at the end. And the idea was basically that this woman could do everything. You know, it was the early 80s or late 70s, early 80s. The whole idea was that women could have it all and do it all. And of course, I just bought this hook, line, and sinker. You know, I was 10. <laughs> and um, and for some reason, when I was th- – I don't remember why I was thinking about her, but I was thinking about – the summer I got sober and noticing that women were really drinking a lot, all the women around me. And more than that, that the culture was pushing them to, that alcohol was everywhere. And it was really being sold the same way that Virginia Slim cigarettes were sold at one point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that thing that you mentioned, um, vinyasa and vino. And it's yeah. the way that made me think of the T-shirts that women wear now that are like oh. Chardonnay and sleigh. Yes, or, um, rosé all day. Rosé, I was going to say Cabernet all day. Or like oh, that, that really That's normalized. <laughs> I know. That's, That's not really a bad. daytime wine. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're kind of tragic. I mean, it's like it's like if you're really... Rosé all day is is actually like I'm an alcoholic and I didn't drink rosé all day. <laughs> um, like it's kind of sad when you think about it. Um, yeah, it's it was sort of like once I'd stepped out of that culture, I could see it really clearly, and I just started to notice that everywhere I went, you know, there was alcohol on offer. Um, anytime I go to get like a manicure, they ask me if I want a glass of wine. And I'm just like, you know, it's two in the afternoon. I'm just getting my nails to know. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I don't need a glass mm-hmm. of wine. And my agent, um, who actually became my editor, this was before our, our current agent, had said, you know, for this book proposal, why don't you do something exploring anger? And I was having a great summer. It was beautiful. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I could try <laughs> and went home and started working on this essay. And somehow I realized I was really angry at the way that, um, you know, wine, liquor in general, but wine especially, was almost being used as a as a stand-in for having our real needs met. And mm. so Anjali is what came out of it. Yeah. Well, because you talk so much about the pressure to do it all, which I can really relate to. Mm-hmm. And I remember you also made up this character, First World Woman, who is almost like a superhero who who does do yes. it all. Or who, and 
Yeah, can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, in um, when I first read Where'd You Go, Bernadette, I laughed a lot because the book is set in North Seattle, where I live. And Maria Semple absolutely nails it. You know, it's these women who have high-powered jobs. They have beautiful families. They are doing Pilates twice a week. You know, they have very, very subtle Botox, but they're getting that too. They have herb gardens. They have everything. Mm -hmm. And you're just trying to keep so many balls in the air. And you don't really get extra credit for any of that anymore. It's just seen as the minimum. Mm -hmm. And once I got sober, I and I totally did all of that. I mean, I still do a lot of that. Um, but I realized just how hard it was and that the, the minimum, the minimally viable life has become pretty unsustainable for probably a lot of people in general. But I think especially this kind of first world woman who's very lucky, you know, in a lot of respects, but also is pretty exhausted and always feeling like she's never quite good enough. Um, and the Amazon culture absolutely played into this. Amazon kind of thrives on bringing in brilliant people who have always been overachievers and then making it impossible for them to overachieve. Yeah. So you're constantly thinking, but I'm bringing my A game. This always worked for me in the past. And why do I feel like I'm barely keeping my head above water? Mm-hmm. So that was a, that was a huge part of, of what was on my mind. That's a very poisonous corporate culture. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's fun, too, but it's, it's pretty poisonous. Yeah. Well, I related it a lot to motherhood and the culture of perfectionist motherhoodism. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I get why, why the whole mommy drinking culture exactly. exists. Exactly. I was going to bring that up because there's all this sort of martinis at 5 o'clock because you're making yourself crazy and you're trying to make the perfect lunches for tomorrow and you have to make, make homemade snacks and a homemade Halloween costume and yeah. volunteer at school and do all I mean, there's so much of it. I bought into it for a while, but I've just completely let go of it because it's impossible I would think you'd have to let go at some point or you are you're absolutely going to be drinking by, you know, three o'clock. Yeah. Or it's also the idea that that mothers are supposed to be fascinated with their children to the exclusion of all else. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think mothers sometimes are, you know, they're focused on their children to the exclusion of all else. It's certainly when they're very young, but it's not wrong to, you know, have other interests. And I think our culture thinks that. You know, you'll hear about someone say, who's at the playground and she's looking at her phone. And, you know, on social media, people are like, how could that woman be looking at her phone when her children are on the swing right set? There. You know? Yeah, why, don't, why isn't she looking into their eyes? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Aren't they having a meaningful moment? And it's like, good Lord, when I was a kid, you know, we'd get up and watch cartoons and then run around outside. And, you know, my mother would be like, well, come back for dinner. And I'm still here. <laughs> She's probably Googling some health problem that they have for God's sake. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Does my no, child have ADHD? I know. Right. No, I mean, right. and there, there's, I mean, but there's that in every aspect of our culture now because mm-hmm. you see a lot of that on Facebook as well, like people sharing all these very judgy articles and, um, and that extends to every aspect of being a woman in our culture now. Oh, yeah. You're always not eating right. Like, if yeah. you're not dieting, it's wrong. If you are dieting, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know that there's a new eating disorder called orthorexia? And is it's that when the exercise thing? or It's like exor- you become obsessed with exercise and eating healthy, like being a keto oh, or like one keto. of those... Diets. I could have that. I could. I could see myself. That would be the eating disorder that I get if I got That's an eating disorder. Same here. That's what I. It's like the people who talk about clean eating. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm very that, susceptible to that kind of thing. Me too. Me too. And it basically just kind of comes down to like having a pretty, you know, it's like eating some vegetables and things. But it's a kind of purity culture that, um, you know, when I was a kid, I remember thinking I had this real pull toward anorexia. Um, I just could never I didn't have it. You know, I, I wasn't mm-hmm. able to make myself that person. But I remember feeling very drawn in this romantic yeah. way toward this idea of like the purity and the control over your body. And Me too. Um, I think that's what it is, too. It's a control thing. I want to yeah. control everything that goes in. Anyway, I don't, <laughs> I don't want right. open this can of worms, but my God, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, so it's, it made absolute sense to me that women are looking for some kind of outlet. Um, what I thought was interesting was that it's sold as kind of, you know, drinking sometimes stands in for feminism. Um, that, you know, mm-hmm. well, we have a right to get blasted, too. And it's like, well, absolutely women have a right to get blasted. It just doesn't mean it's necessarily a good idea for you, specific woman, individually. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to rebel against our culture that that don't involve getting drunk. In fact, you know, being sober is kind of an act of dissidence in some ways. Sure. I love this part as well that you wrote about um, the idea that we talk about how strong is the new sexy and smart is the new beautiful, as if Mm -hmm. strong and smart are just paths to hot because hot is the ultimate thing to be. And that feels particularly upsetting to think about at this age when... I don't want to say like, oh, it's upsetting because it's not accessible. But if, if that's what culture values. You know, you never have to stop being hot. But there's a certain culturally prescribed idea of, of what's sexy that I find different from what real men think is sexy. But like real individual men that I've met in my real life. But, yeah. but we definitely as a culture, we buy into it. And I think we tie ourselves up in knots over it. I have a friend who says, you know, beauty may fade, but style and glamour last forever. And I've decided to just grab onto that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also find the word hot, when that became the word that we started to use to mean sexy, it also has some kind of connotations towards ripeness or something. It's it's a different word from sexy. Right, right. It does feel kind of like almost like the you're almost out of control of your own sexual desires or something like you're yeah you're ripening on the vine and you're gonna fall off that tree soon (laughs) it makes me think of j-lo at the super bowl yeah yeah like a (laughs) frenzied kind of hotness (laughs) i kind of like thinking about j-lo at the super bowl (laughs) was very very on fire there was a lot of discussion of it in my circles (laughs) yeah same here same here i took a poll class once about a year ago just out of curiosity that is hard work. And I actually was, because I lift weights, like I was kind of strong and could, could actually do some stuff. But I mean, I was bruised for a week. I mean, wow. <laughs> I don't know how she, I don't know how she does it. It's absolutely brutal. I didn't go back. I mean, I might someday, but I wasn't really eager to repeat it. Um, yeah, I think that, that hot feels very Jersey Shore. There's something kind of <laughs> beachy about it. Um where sexy is just different. And Sarah Heppola has written a lot about the idea of drinking herself into consent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. think that a lot of younger women, and probably not just younger women, but do that. Um, I remember thinking my sex life would be really just ugh, just nothing much if I quit drinking. And it's actually 
like never been better. I mean, I'm 49 and I kind of feel like I'm probably just getting started. Hmm. Um, which may be naive, but I'm going to run with it as far as I can. That's really good to hear. (laughs) It's scary to, to after, you know, to, to get sober and then think about having sex, you know, if you've been fucked up. I mean, I think I was probably fucked up for, if not all, most of my sexual encounters. Me too. Me too. Including Mm -hmm. with my own husband. I mean, you know, it's not like it was all out of nerves, but it was just the, the default or you'd go out to dinner and have, have some drinks and, then come home and have sex. And and suddenly when you're confronted with the idea of not doing that, it seems terrifying. And once I pulled the Band-Aid off, I was like, oh, this is fine, actually. My nerve endings work a lot better now. <laughs> and um, I like that. Well, I mean, it's it, the inhibition lowering also, I think, is a comfort to people. Yeah, absolutely. Or or being able to say, well, I never would have done that specific thing, except I was a little a little drunk. Um, although it's just kind of sexy, I think, to just claim your own desires and own them. It's a little scary, but once mm-hmm. you get used to it, it's it's not so bad. And sobriety kind of it almost forces it. We're gonna take a quick break. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks 
more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. I love the part where you wrote, and there's no easy way to be a woman because, as you may have noticed, there's no acceptable way to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And if there's no acceptable way to be the thing that you are, then maybe some women drink a little or a lot. Yeah, I, I really do feel that there is no correct way to be a woman in our culture. And I don't even think I just mean American culture. I think I mean the the, the, the globe. <laughs> um, you're always too much of something and not enough of something else. I I noticed a lot at Amazon that I was always trying to be female enough to be likable, but male enough to be credible. Hmm. And and this was not an overtly misogynist culture. It wasn't like, you know, make me a sandwich sort of thing. It doesn't have you, to be. Exactly. It was more subtle than that. And it was really just a lot to do with unconscious bias and people, you know, like prefers like. And so men were more comfortable with themselves. And it was exhausting. And when I got sober, I realized I was doing it. And um, what I finally have come around to, I've added like a little PS to that, that saying that if there's no correct way to be a woman, you might as well just do what you want um, because you're not going to get it right. right. So. Hmm. I kind of just do what I want now. That's very liberating. It's been quite nice, honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm still as, you know, I, I'm as starchy and hamstrung as, as anyone can be. It's interesting what you said about being an upper middle class white lady drinking wine, because I feel the exact same way, mm -hmm. except for that I'm the upper middle class white lady drinking wine and smoking a lot of pot, too. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're and, just going to drop that in right now. Oh, but just why not? Because we're on the topic. But um, sure. it does cause sometimes a little alienation from like AA and other recovery things. If you feel like you were this like polite drunk, yeah. you know, who never did anything. I mean, I never woke up in a strange hotel room. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I did some embarrassing things, but, you know, nothing like the things you hear in the meetings, you know, never arrested. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my husband, who's also sober now, like went to a meeting and there was a woman who had been like tased twice in one day. Oh, and everyone God. called her, they called her two taser Tammy. <laughs> she called herself <laughs> that. You know? And he was like, wow, <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Like I'm impressed. Yeah. And, and I think that I mean, when there's been sort of blowback uh, against the book, you know, people do say, well, you were a very privileged white woman who never, and basically what you just said, you know, who never did anything that catastrophic. And I'm like, yep, absolutely right. And um, there are a lot of people out there like that. You know, I mean, and I think not it's always. Still, it still counts if the only life you're ruining is your own. Yeah. And you're also probably subtly ruining or damaging the lives of people around you just in ways that, you know, aren't as visible. But you, I mean, I was basically, this sounds hyperbolic, but I was kind of killing my own soul. You know, my life, my, my point of view was getting very, very tiny. 
And um, that's a terrible waste of human potential. And so it's like, yeah, even if you're, if you're only ruining your own life, like so much better if you could just not do that. <laughs> but I do think, you know, there's a real dearth in the literature of, of work by women of color um, who have gotten sober who've, or who've struggled with addiction. And, you know, I've had a couple people say, well, you should have written more about that. And I said, well, you know, my project was not that. My project is I'm a memoirist. I'm not a journalist or a social scientist. But, um, but I, do, I, I do wonder, you know, why aren't we hearing those stories? Um, if they're out there as books, um, I'm not really aware of, of many. And I think that there's a, that's a big gap. I don't know if it's if – it's, well, the publishing industry is not particularly friendly toward the stories of women of color in general. But um, I, that, that great book is, is out there waiting to be – you know, either written or, or discovered and celebrated. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm thinking about the reasons why that would be. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about it with people sometimes, and, and some people say maybe there's more shame attached to women of color telling those stories – in the first place, maybe it's just more, I don't know, it's kind of maybe more marketable to write about someone like me who had a fancy job. And, you know, I write about spending a lot of money and things like that. Mm. Um, it's people can hate read it sometimes and they do sometimes hate read it, believe me, because they they write to me and tell me. But um, but, you know, it's a little more of a sex in the city kind of vibe than you're going to get from some other types of types of books. What's been the most surprising thing about getting sober and being sober? Mm, I think I thought that alcohol was the 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 aspect of life that was opening me up and making it easier to talk to people and go places and do things. I am infinitely braver and more confident as a sober person and I really never expected that. I mean, I can talk to anyone now. I feel really confident about going anywhere, doing anything, because I have my head on my shoulders. Um, and also, well, my life changed utterly. I mean, I'd wanted to be a writer since I was three and kind of had some fits and starts in my 20s and then derailed. And I now have, you know, a career, not just because of drinking. I mean, I, I know how to write also, but it gave me a subject. <laughs> and I think sometimes like, you know, oh, my three-year-old self didn't really anticipate getting here through crippling alcoholism. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, you never quite know what's going to happen. So, so having the career I always wanted and really the life I always wanted um, – has been a, a huge surprise. I did not expect that. I was 43 when I stopped drinking. So I thought, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm just too old to quit. And uh, that was stupid. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad I ignored myself. So maybe we should wrap up the show. Okay. This was great. Thank it's you so much, really Christy. Fun. Thanks, Christy. Be sure to check out Christy's book, Nothing Good Can Come From This. And um, when does the Amazon book come out? I mean, I know you oh. have to finish it. Yeah, maybe near the end of 2021, no sooner. Okay. Um, there, there's no pub date set yet, but um, I'm sure I will be screaming it far and wide. <laughs> and then how can people find you? Um, I have a website, christycoulter.com, and you can read lots of my work there and find out more stuff about me. You can see pictures of my dogs, including one of my dogs standing in a dishwasher as a puppy. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts, Kim France and Talia Bacazis. 
If you like the show, be sure to tell your friends and rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find me on my blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.